Hey, Chapel Street Church family. I'm excited to tell you about our next generosity initiative. As you probably know, every year at Advent season during Christmas, we select a Serve the World partner to tell you their story, to pray for them, and to encourage you to be generous to what God is doing in their ministries. And then usually one other time a year, we pick another Serve the World partner to do the same thing. This year, with our Vacation Bible School students happening right now, uh, who are always generous during those weeks to give, we've decided to partner with our kids to support a ministry called Cure Zambia. Cure is a remarkable ministry. They're putting first world hospitals in developing countries. And the hospital in Zambia, Cure Zambia, is one I've actually been to with my wife years ago to see firsthand this life-changing ministry that they're a part of. And we have a church-wide goal across all of our campuses, together with our kids in VBS, to bless this ministry, to provide enough money to hire a new surgeon, equip a new surgical center, and provide the necessary resources for the children's equipment as they recover from these life-changing surgeries. Again, I've been there, I've seen these families and these children and how what Cure is doing changes them, transforms them, both physically and spiritually. And so together, this is a great opportunity for us to demonstrate the generosity of our God across the world. Let me just take a minute to speak to those of you who have never yet taken a step of generosity here at Chapel Street Church. This is the perfect opportunity for you to take that step, to be generous to what God is doing, because this money is being given away to bless a remarkable ministry and bless people we may never meet, but people who God sees and God knows and God loves and cares about. So let's together as a church family, along with our kids, be generous and reflect the heart of God. When we're generous, we reflect God's heart, we move the mission forward, and we remind ourselves that this life, all we have is a gift of God's grace. It's not ours, it's His. So Chapel Street Church, let's jump in this journey together. I love that our church uh, gets to do things like this. Uh, really, just such a wonderful thing to be a part of a church that values generosity. Because Jeff's exactly right, what he said there right at the end, that just generosity reflects the heart of God to the world. When we're generous, we are showing the world that we serve a God who gave himself away. I also got the pleasure this week of getting to be at VBS and seeing firsthand what those kids do. I uh, somehow got roped onto being on the dance team, and although I look like an amazing dancer, uh, it, was, it was quite the challenge for me. But the kids raised over $4,000 in four days. That was just first through fifth graders saying, hey, I want to be a part of this. I want to give what I have. There, would be, there was kids making lemonade stands and asking neighbors if they could help in any way to raise money. Over $4,000 in four days. Incredible display of humility and generosity from our kids. And I think we should follow suit. We should join them. We should say as adults, hey, we're going we're gonna to follow the, the lead of our kids. We're going to be generous. We're going to support Zambia uh, and Cure International because it's a great ministry. So before we uh, start today, I just want to pray for Cure International as a church. I want to just pray that God would use this to, to grow generosity in our own hearts and to bless that ministry. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for the chance to be joining with you in your generosity. Lord, every time we do something like this, we're reminded, Lord, that you are the God who gave to us everything that you had. And so, God, I pray that we would follow you. We would follow you in being generous where we can and how we can. And, God, I pray that we'd use this opportunity to serve and partner with Cure Zambia. God, we thank you for the work that you're doing through them and in them. Thank you for the ways in which families are hearing about the gospel for the first time, that kids' needs are being served. We just pray that you'd bless them and that you would use the funds that we get to raise over these next few months uh, to really grow your ministry there in Zambia. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Right, well, one more quick thing before we start today. Uh, where are the Clacerises? There you are. Okay, I won't call you out for long. No one likes to be called out in church. But I wanted to recognize them because I think this is going to be our last time to be with you for a little bit. Y'all are heading down to Florida. And I just want to honor Michelle and Tim because they helped us start this campus and both served in a number of different ways. Uh, too many to count today. Tim was our chief usher for a little bit. Uh, and uh, I just, I've been so blessed and so encouraged as a pastor and as a, a, a member of this church family for the ways that you guys have given yourself. Uh, so we're really thankful for you all. We're going to be praying for you all, and hopefully you'll come and see us when you get back. Although Florida is probably much nicer than Illinois at many times of the year. Um, well, anyway, we're jump, jumping in today on our second week of Proverbs. Uh, I'm really excited about this series. Uh, I think there's a lot in here for us. Uh, but I wanted to start this week by asking, is there any Taylor Swift fans in the house today? I know there's one, so you have to put your hand up, even if you're the only one. I, you call a Swifty if you're a Taylor Swift fan, is that right? You're a Swifty? I don't know. I, don't, I pretend like I don't like Taylor Swift, but I love her as much as everybody else. She used to be like this country singer right now. She's just this everything. She's this uh, superstar. And if you uh, kind of had your ear to the ground, you know, a few weeks ago, she had concerts here in the Chicago area downtown. It was pandemonium. So many people wanted to go to these concerts. Uh, it was crazy. The police had to set up perimeters and everything. Uh, some of the tickets were, go- were going on average, uh, I think, for like $2,400 uh, a ticket to get into Soldier Field, but that's not even the craziest part. People would resell those tickets, some of them for as high as $30,000. I know, she's not that good. $30,000 a ticket? But that's not the end of the craziness. There was a chocolate company in Philadelphia. Uh, this is like a page out of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. There's a chocolate company in Philadelphia who sold candy bars, and the candy bars had a code hidden in it. And if you Pick that code, you won a ticket to Taylor Swift concert. So just like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, everybody's buying up chocolate bars to try and get into a Taylor Swift concert. But this is my favorite. Pastor Joe told me about this week, and I knew I had to use it in the sermon. The craziest is what people sell after the concerts to those who couldn't make it to the concerts, right? They want you to feel like you got to be a part of it. So you can, for the mega price of $100, buy a bag of air from Taylor Swift's concert. <laughs> But no, but this is the best part. It might contain some of Taylor Swift's breath, right? Isn't that worth it? Yeah, $100 for a bag of air that might contain Taylor Swift's breath. People go for this stuff. They buy this stuff. They find these little things that Taylor Swift's touched or been there, and they, they buy them up. And we, as a people, often, just like that, find ourselves pursuing with such bizarre passion different things in the world. We get so excited, we long for it, we treasure it. And the truth is that even though we search after so many things with all of our hearts, sadly, one of the things that we search after for the least and with the least passion is wisdom. Wisdom is this thing that sometimes we don't put that level of of passion and, and pursuit into. And so we want to look as a church family through this book of Proverbs because we want to be a people who pursue wisdom. We want to be a people that care about God's wisdom. So this book that we started reading, Proverbs, is in the Old Testament, written by King Solomon, who was uh, famous for being the wisest man of his age. Kings and queens would visit Solomon to consult him. He wrote thousands of Proverbs, many pieces of literature. There's a couple of things in our scriptures, Ecclesiastes, the book of Proverbs, and other things attributed to King Solomon. And this book was probably written to be a manual for schoolboys in how to learn the way of God, to learn the wisdom of God as they grew up. And I think it's important to kind of set 
the definition for what it is that we're going after in this book. What is wisdom? Because it's not cleverness, it's not knowledge, it's not knowing more. Wisdom can be defined this way. Wisdom is the skill of living a faithful and godly life by being competent to the realities of life. Wisdom is the skill of living a faithful and godly life by being competent to the realities of life. So in marriage and in work and in family and all the decisions that you and I need to make on a daily basis, we need this wisdom. We need to know how can we have the skill of living a faithful and godly life? How can we be competent to the realities of life around us? How do we pursue wisdom? How do we see the true purpose of our lives that's exactly what we're jumping into this week in Proverbs 2 and 3, is we're trying to ask this question, how do we pursue wisdom? And I think we're going to see we can do it through three ways. First, we pursue God's word. Second, we pursue God's path. And lastly, we pursue God's heart. So we pursue God's word. We pursue God's word. When I was a kid, about I think it was like 10, uh, uh, we had eye examinations in our elementary school. And even though there was nothing wrong with my eyes, for some reason I decided I need glasses. I want glasses. So I faked my test. It was probably pathetic watching a 10-year-old boy try and convince a trained optician that his eyes were bad. But somehow I did get a pair of glasses. But for the longest time, it really was a waste of time because I didn't need those glasses at all. And then fast forward to my 30s. And me and Janae were watching a TV show. I think I first noticed this about a year ago. And that, you know when there's someone in the show is texting someone or they're reading an email and the email or the text comes up on screen and I'm sat in the couch probably six feet away. I'm like, I cannot read what that says. I didn't have my glasses on. I put my glasses on and I realized for the first time my eyes have caught up to my lie. My body is now actually in need of glasses. And I noticed after that so many different things in life when I wasn't wearing my glasses and when I was, so many different things that I wasn't seeing clearly to an astonishing degree, a troubling degree. And what the word of God is, the word of God is like a pair of glasses that when we open it, when we look at it, when we receive its counsel, it puts things in clarity, gives us clarity to see things rightly. In Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, this is what's written. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight, and cry aloud for understanding. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So we finished last week by ending on verse 7 of chapter 1 that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It says later in Proverbs that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom starts, this journey into wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. And the way that we can grow in the fear of the Lord is to pursue his word. Now, I just want to remind us, whenever the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it's not talking about terror. It's not talking about being frightened of God that he might do something bad to you. The fear of the Lord in Scripture is far more like a reverence, a respect, an awe of God's greatness, his justice, his purity, his holiness, all of these things. It's to behold God and see how unlike him we are and to know how great he is. And it's his word that provides us with that respect and awe. Because it's his word that reveals who he is to us. Apart from this, we cannot know him. 
Proverbs 2 says that if we accept the teachings of this book, and it's, in, in context it's speaking specifically about Proverbs, but really what Solomon believes and what the biblical writers believe is that the entire counsel of Scripture is something that reveals God's way to us. It, it teaches us the, the fear of the Lord. Psalm 119 verses 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You've probably heard that before, but it, it's such a great verse because it, it reveals to us the true beauty of God's word. It's like a light bulb in a dark room. Imagine being in a dark room. We had all the lights off in here. The windows were closed. We couldn't see things. We kind of had an idea there were shapes in here. We bumped into things. We feel some things are soft, some things are hard. But we don't know where we are. We don't know what's going in or, or what's going on or what's around us clearly. And what the word of God does is it provides light insight to understand our world, to understand what is valuable, what is purposeful, what's most important. Now, the Bible, it is, needs to be said, doesn't answer every question we could possibly have about life, but it does answer the most important questions. It is not exhaustive, but it is sufficient for everything that we need to live this life. And the truth is a lot of us are living in the dark and what we do is rather than come to God's word and pursue God's word, we try and form meaning for ourselves. We try and create our own meaning for our lives and for the world around us. And this is something that C.S. Lewis talked about even in his day. He was writing probably 60, 70 years ago now. And this is what C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Abolition of Man. He says, for the wise men of old, the cardinal problem of human life was how to conform the soul to reality. And the solution was wisdom, self-discipline, and virtue. But for the modern mind, the cardinal problem is how to conform reality to the soul. How do I take the world around me and say, how do I make this best fit me? What C.S. Lewis is saying is for the longest time, wisdom was viewed as this, this way in which you could conform yourself to the world in which you find yourself. True wisdom is pursued by understanding the true meaning of the world that you are living in and conforming yourself to that, not trying to reshape reality to what's best going to fit you. We'll see again and again that Proverbs tries to guide us in the design and in the pattern and in the purpose of life. Tells us to live generously, live truthfully, live with justice and mercy and integrity because this is how God has created the world to be. And it's not just because Proverbs or God thinks that these are nice, virtuous ideas. It's because this is how we can thrive. This is how we can grow. Think of it this way. If I was building a plane, I have to design that plane to obey certain laws of aerodynamics. Otherwise, it's going to be a bad plane. It's going to crash. It'll be a waste of all the effort and all the intention and all the motivation. If it doesn't conform to the laws of aerodynamics, that plane's going nowhere. Well, in the same way, what wisdom teaches us, what Proverbs teaches us, is if our lives don't conform to God's good design, if we don't let ourselves be shaped by his word, our lives are going to crash. We're going to put all this effort in, all this energy, all of this motivation, and go nowhere. And so we cannot overstate the importance of God's word in building wisdom within you. One more quote, just from St. Augustine. St. Augustine said that the wisdom of what a person says is in direct proportion to his progress in learning the Holy Scriptures. 
And I'm not speaking of intensive reading or memorization, but real understanding and careful investigation of their meaning. There is no better step that you can take this week to pursue wisdom than to pursue God's word to open it up, to spend time in it, to wrestle with it, to, to highlight and mark the things that you don't understand and the, the things that you have questions about and the parts that trouble you. Bring it to a friend, bring it to a pastor, bring it to a mentor and walk through it together so that you can find wisdom, so that you can gain insight, so that the lights can go on in the dark room. But the second thing that Proverbs teaches us about pursuing wisdom is that we must not just pursue God's word, we must pursue God's path. We must pursue God's path. One of the greatest film trilogies of the 1980s was the Karate Kid trilogy, right? Any Karate Kid people in here? This is appalling. Is that many hands for the Karate Kid? That's like one of the greatest movies of all time. I've got a picture here of Mr. Miyagi and Daniel-san, right? This is from the first movie. And in the first movie, Daniel-san comes to Mr. Miyagi and says, I want you to teach me karate. I want to learn the way of karate. Teach me it. Teach me it. And so Mr. Miyagi gives him two very specific things to do. He says, I want you to paint my fence. Paint up, paint down. Paint my fence like this. And the one that everybody remembers that they're doing right now is I want you to do what? Wax on, wax off on the card. Good. Okay, that makes me feel better. I was wounded when you didn't like Karate Kid. Okay, wax on, wax off, right? And Daniel said he gets frustrated, he gets annoyed because he comes every day and he does these repeated patterns of behavior. He paints the fence, he waxes the car, and he says, I do it every day. I came here to learn karate and you're not teaching me karate. And Mr. Miyagi, in one of the coolest scenes in the movie, reveals that the entire time he's been painting that fence, that he's been waxing that car, he's been learning the motions of karate. He says, wax on, wax off, and he blocks his punches. See, wisdom is very much like that. The path of wisdom is very much repeated, mundane patterns of behavior that don't always seem like they're doing that much, but over time are building wisdom within you, are training you in godliness. Proverbs 2, verses 6 to 11 says, The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. He guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. See, the Bible is constantly talking about life and wisdom as a path, something to be walked. And what's particular about that, every good path, is that to walk a path, you have to do what? Put one foot in front of the other again and again and again. It's not exciting, you've just got to walk forward. Walking a path requires repeated behaviors that go over and over. And what Proverbs is trying to teach us by talking about wisdom as a path is telling us that wisdom isn't formed in big dramatic moments. It's not just a door of mystical knowledge that you can walk through and you've arrived and you've attained it. Wisdom is a path that must be walked. It is a pattern of repeated behaviors. And to walk that path, we need to learn three things. To walk that path, we need to learn first to know ourselves. We need to learn to know ourselves. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. Wisdom is the skill of allowing God to examine you deeply. 
It's the ability to understand that God knows you better than you know you. God understands you better than you understand you. You need to know who you are, otherwise you will make foolish choices in your life. If you don't know your limitations, your temptations, your dysfunctions, you'll never be able to practice wisdom in your life. And that's why we've got to pursue the learning of ourselves. Now the problem is that we love to examine other people far more than we like to examine ourselves. We love to get into other people's stories and business and say, oh, I know what's going on with them. I know what's in their hearts. We don't like to tend the, or the microscope on ourselves. Don't like to look inward. Don't like to identify what's really going on in ourselves. And the reason is because it's painful. It's uncomfortable to look at those broken parts of ourselves, to find those places in our heart where we need to change, where we need to grow. It's not nice. And so we avoid it. Whenever I'm uh, talking to the kids about something they've done wrong, I've noticed, as many parents notice, that their first go-to is like, well, they did this, right? Look at them, look at them. They don't want to examine their own hearts. See, to not examine ourselves is a sign of immaturity. To not praise the psalmist did, search me, God. Look inside of me. Find all of the things inside of me that are grievous, that are not good, and help me walk out of them. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Also, to walk the path of wisdom, we need to learn to know community. Proverbs is very clear throughout about the importance of community. It says in Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. It says in Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Wisdom is the skill of cultivating many counselors. It's the habit of cultivating many counselors. It's the ability to know that you will know God better in community over isolation. You'll know God better when you're in community and not in isolation. Because if you have taken that first step on the path, step one, know yourself. If you know yourself, you know you can't trust your own wisdom. You know you can't rely on your own strength. You can't rely on your own ability. And so you want to take the next step. I want to know community. I want to build people around me who can advise me, who can encourage me, who can push back on me. A wise person is so unsure of his own wisdom that he is committed to community. And that's why we will often talk about Chapel Street, and I hope that we continue to do it better and better We talk about the importance of small groups of various kinds, rooted, life groups, women's Bible studies, men's team groups, because we know we can't pursue God on our own. It's just not going to happen. Unless we open ourselves up and invite other people to know us and to share in our trials, if we confess our sins to one another, unless we're doing that, we won't grow in wisdom, we won't grow in the knowledge of God, we won't grow, period. And so the discipline of community and letting others know you is so important in the path of wisdom. The last thing we need to walk the path of wisdom is we need to learn to know our hope. We learn to know ourselves, we learn to know community, and we need to learn to know our hope. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and 17, we read this. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
for this light momentary affliction, which I just want to pause for a moment, the affliction that the Corinthians were experiencing would not be by any stretch of the imagination described as light and momentary to them. And yet that's what Paul writes. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you hear what their hope is? Their hope is not wealth. Their hope is not legacy. Their hope is not happiness. Their hope is not success in worldly terms. Their hope is to be renewed day by day. Their hope is what makes their persecutions and their struggles and their sufferings and their trials seem light and momentary because they know all of them are crafting something better for them, an eternal weight of glory. So you see, wisdom... Wisdom is the skill of knowing every life experience you have is an opportunity to grow in godliness. Wisdom is the ability to know that even your sufferings can serve a redemptive and beautiful purpose. There's basically two views in our culture on struggle and suffering. Either one, it's meaningless. It's just painful and pointless. Or suffering is destructive. It steals from you. It takes away from you the things that are most precious. But the Bible doesn't take either one of those views. Jesus doesn't take either one of those views. Jesus says, no, suffering and struggle can have a purpose and it doesn't have to be destructive. It can be purposeful and it doesn't have to be harmful ultimately. But in order for that to happen... In order for your sufferings to be meaningful and non-destructive, you need to know your hope. You need to know your hope is not happiness. Your hope is not legacy. It's not wealth. It's not success. It's not reputation. It is to be remade into the image of Christ. And so when you know that, when that is your hope, everything that you suffer and travel through becomes an opportunity to become more like him to let patience grow in you, to let endurance grow in you, to let humility grow in you. I think, honestly, too often we see faith or use faith as a means to maintain what we currently have. We want to keep things as they are. And so I I worship God because maybe he'll let me keep what I've got if I worship him enough, if I do all the right things, if I follow the rules. And actually what God says is true faith is going to disrupt your life because true faith wants to remake you. It wants to reshape you, wants to change you. Things are going to be challenging for you because you need to grow. And so pursuing wisdom is the pursuit of renewal. Pursuing wisdom is the pursuit to be made into the image of Christ, to be like him, to be counted with him in his death and his resurrection. So baptism, for example, is a symbol of pursuing wisdom. Because when we come to baptism, as we will in a few weeks here at Chapel Street, It is a symbol of us laying our old self down and saying we want to be remade into the image of Christ. We want to be like him in his death and his resurrection. Let me ask you, what are you pursuing when you pursue wisdom? Are you pursuing renewal and remaking? Are you pursuing control? Is wisdom a tool for you to maintain what you have or is it an opportunity for you to be changed? The last thing that we need to pursue if we're going to pursue wisdom is we need to pursue God's heart. We need to pursue God's heart. Proverbs 3 verses 1 through 7 says this, My son, don't forget my teaching. 
Keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, and then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. See, the teacher in Proverbs, Solomon, is going to remind us again and again and again, wisdom only comes by pursuing God himself. True wisdom only comes by pursuing God himself. He is indispensable to the cause of wisdom because, as we learned last week, he is wisdom. We need God because there's a problem in pursuing wisdom apart from him. And the problem is this, is that there is a gap. There's a huge gap. Because if we go through all the things that we've listed so far, God's word, knowing ourselves, knowing community, knowing our hope, all of those things cannot be done without God's heart. I will never love this as much as I need to. I will never be as willing to look into my own heart as I need to be. I will never be as willing to share my life and open myself up to others as I need to be. I will never know my hope in the way that I need to if I'm going to survive sufferings unless I know God's heart. Jesus said to his followers, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Dean Altland in his book, Gentle and Lonely, he says that's the only time in scripture where God describes his own heart to us. And what he says about himself, what he wants us to know about himself is he's gentle and he's lowly. In that book, Gentle and Lowly, I, for the longest time, people were telling me again and again, you've got to read it, you've got to read it, it's amazing. You ever had a friend like that who's telling you to read this one book and you're like, yeah, I'll get to it, I'll read the book, please don't harass me. The time when I chose to finally pick up that book and read it properly, I'd flicked through it a couple of times, but when I chose to read it up, it was in the last few months of my mom's life when she was struggling. I thought, I'll read this book to her because I know people have told me it'll encourage me, so I'll read it, it'll encourage her. I couldn't believe what I read in there. In fact, one of the memories I'm going to treasure most from my mom's final months is sitting next to her bed and reading her a chapter from Gentle and Lowly. Because what that book did is it reminded me of the heart of God. It reminded me of what it meant that he's gentle and lowly, that he loves us deeply, that he's eternally faithful to us, that he is devoted to us. When you begin to know God's heart, the pursuit of his wisdom becomes valuable to him because you know it leads to him leads to him. Proverbs 3.3 3 says, you want to bind this on your heart. You want to bind God's faithfulness to your heart. The reason why is because you will never pursue wisdom until you have bound that love to your heart, seen that faithfulness, known why his wisdom is so valuable. And where do we see his heart most plainly manifested? Where do we see the heart of God most clearly on display? On the cross, in Jesus the cross is the clearest illustration of God's love and his heart, and it is the first step in pursuing wisdom, is to come to that cross. Because what kind of love do we discover at the cross? The kind of love that John talks about in his letter, First John chapter 4, he says, in this is love, not that we've loved God, but he's loved us, and he's given his son for us. 
says in the chapter earlier, 1 John 3, see what kind of love the Father's given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. And says in his gospel in John chapter 17, this is eternal life, that they know you. That they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, at the cross, in Christ, God lavishes his love upon sinners. He pours his compassion and his mercy and his devotion and his faithfulness down on sinners by calling them his children and granting them eternal life. To pursue wisdom, you must take that picture of love and you must bind it to your heart. You must remind yourself of it daily. You've got to wake up and remind yourself, God is faithful to me. He is devoted to me. He has given his son for me. He has laid down his life for me. You must speak to your own soul, as the psalmist so often did and so often said, and compel yourself to see his great love. Until you do, you cannot pursue wisdom. Because until you've seen the love of God, you will never love his word. Until you've seen the love of God and understood that this book, what it reveals, is not a principles and rules for life. It reveals the heart of a God who is devoted to you and faithful to you and throughout generation and generation and generation, he stuck by us. That when you were at your worst, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. When you understand that that's what's in these pages, you want to know the God that spoke those words. Until you know God's love, you'll never be willing to examine yourself the way that you need to. Because it's too frightening. It's too painful to think what you might find in your own heart. But if you've seen the love of God, if you know that at your worst moment, he said, I love you and I want you, then there's nothing that you can find in your heart that will be too frightening anymore. Because you know he loved you at your worst. You can look at everything that's inside yourself because you know he's committed to you. He's already given his best for you. You'll never pursue community until you realize that the one who loves you has knit you into a body, has invited you to be a part of a family, who said, come and be known. And you will never understand your hope until you've seen it hanging on a cross for you, giving itself for you, suffering for you, to ensure that every darkness that you face, the worst tragedies in your life, will no longer swallow you because of him. They will only present you with opportunities to know him more. We have to be pounding God's love and his heart into ourselves every day, binding it to ourselves, binding that faithfulness. And that's why this writer of Proverbs, Solomon, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. He will do that. He will build wisdom within you. See, the cross is Jesus making your path straight. It's giving you a clear line to how to pursue wisdom, to come to the foot of the cross. And the cross is the ultimate display of his wisdom, isn't it? The wisdom of God, who won by dying, who got power by giving it away, who ruled by service and humility. That's the kind of wisdom that will reshape you and remake you. That's the kind of wisdom that will bring you to life. At the cross, we will see a God that is worth pursuing, that is worth laying ourselves down and chasing after. And to pursue wisdom, to start that journey, 
you can do nothing better than to come to the foot of the cross to acknowledge your need for Jesus and to invite him to come and to lead you in wisdom. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your son who is the embodiment of wisdom and who displayed wisdom for us by going to a cross and letting himself hang there for all the sufferings and sin of the world. And Father, I thank you that there at that cross, even amidst that ugly moment, Lord, we see your heart. We see the God who calls us to know him, to be loved by him, to be remade by him and healed by him. And God, we pray throughout this journey, throughout Proverbs, as we pursue wisdom, that that's what we would pursue. They would pursue your heart. Make us like your son, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's good to be together, good to remind ourselves of the love and the faithfulness of God. I'm so forgetful about it, as we all are. Is there any way we can be praying for you, encouraging you? I want you to know you're welcome to come. We have a prayer teams. We've got a prayer room. We would love to encourage you. We want to be those people who pursue the path of wisdom by knowing one another. We're not always great at that, but we want to strive towards them. So please come let us know. But let me offer this morning's benediction. May we go in the name of the one who is our great wisdom and who at the cross displayed his wisdom and his heart. May we pursue him and know him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's in his name that we go. Amen.